When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is the Wealth Ability for CPAs show. Better clients, better practice, better life. Here's Tom Wheelwright. Welcome to the Wealth Ability show for CPAs, where we're always discovering how to build better clients, a better practice, and a better life. Hi, this is Tom Wheelwright, your host, founder, and CEO of the Wealth Ability Network. So just for a minute here, picture your favorite client. We all have them. We know who they are because that's the person we can't wait to pick up the phone and talk to. Now imagine what if every client you served was just like your favorite client. Today, we're going to discover just how to go about building that perfect client base, which ends up being, you know, as we say, better clients, <laughs> be better life you know, better life, better clients, better practice, better life. So that's where we end up. We have uh, somebody who has uh, really done an excellent job in uh, figuring out how to do that in Tyler Clark. And uh, Tyler and I met in the Accounting Influencers Roundtable and very happy to have you on the show, Tyler. It's an absolute pleasure to be here, Tom. Thank you so much for the opportunity. So, so tell us, um, how'd you get into this? I mean, we, you know, give us a little of that backstory here. We, we all want to know. Sure. I'll, I'll keep this short and sweet, uh, but long story short, uh, whether it's seen as a blessing or as a curse, I consider it a blessing. Uh, there's never been a moment in my life where sales and marketing specifically for the entrepreneurial accountant hasn't been a part of it. My grandfather built a very successful firm after he proudly served in World War II. Uh, it would be a multi-million dollar firm by today's standards. My, and what allowed him to, uh, to grow that is many of the pricing and sales strategies that are considered commonplace in today's market, because my father served as his sales representative, a relatively revolutionary time uh, idea in the 70s, a dedicated salesperson for an accounting firm, uh, was very interesting. And so they, my father ended up uh, building his own firm, further fine honing my grandfather's techniques. And then he launched the first ever marketing and consulting firm specifically for entrepreneurial accountants. And he launched that firm right when I was born, essentially. So uh, I grew up under his tutelage and uh, spent five years as a growth consultant with him inside of his firm before I launched my own firm, uh, kind of continuing that legacy and lineage. I added six figures of new non-referral growth to it. Uh, each year before a successful exit as the sales representative for my father. And so we really have kind of this, uh, this lineage aspect. And I took those techniques and ultimately launched Dream Firms to uh, further spearhead the, uh, the digital transformation specifically related to uh, Dream Client Acquisition Systems. That's, uh, that's interesting. So I, I always tell people I'm the son, grandson, and uh, great-grandson of an entrepreneur. Okay, you go a step further. You're, you're, you're the son, grandson of a, of a, of a CPA and, and who actually knew how to sell, which is like, that's like an oxymoron, right? So let, let's start with 
um, the idea of that ideal client. Okay. So um, before we, you know, ever get into sales or marketing, we need to know who we're selling to. We need to know who we're marketing to. But one of the things you and I have in common, um, I think Tyler, is that we both believe that the ideal client starts with who we are and, you know, what do we want? So how do you go about, um, you know, helping CPAs determine who's that ideal client? It's a fantastic question, and it's easily the one that I get the most, which is either I'm not sure how to pick this or I don't know what direction to go in. And <clears throat> I find that there's a very simple list of questions that we can guide uh, the thoughts of the, of the client through, the entrepreneurial accountant through, that will start to help this to become a, a bit more obvious. And uh, before I get into the questions, I just want to be clear, it's, it's your dream client, just like you said, Tom, right? Like, one man's trash is another man's treasure. I have people who love 1040s and all they want is more 1040s, as crazy as that sounds. So I think the vast majority of people and I have people who only want high level CFO clients. And we, we are successful in tracking both of these spheres of clients because we're so specific in who we want to work with. So the first thing is be clear on what you don't want. <laughs> I think a lot of times people start with, I'm trying to figure out what I want. And I go, no, 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 no. That, that, that's a good way to put it, Tyler. I, I like that. You know what? It, you know, you, maybe we should have started with, think about your worst client. <laughs> what is it that makes them your worst client? I, I actually think that's a nice comparison. It's like, we always like to do uh, debits on the left and credits on the right, right? So, you know, boo, okay, here's, here's, the, here's the bad bad aspects. Here's the good aspects. Exactly. And I, I just, uh, I... I find that humans are very good at gravitating towards the negative. And even the bad clients, they take up a lot of time in your brain. I think when people go, hey, hey, imagine that client you really love. Like I'm having a such a hard time. I'm thinking about the bad client. And even, you know, people are, are good at, generally speaking, kind of destroying things. I don't mean that to be like overtly negative, but we do gravitate towards the negative. Just look at the news and leverage that to your advantage. And then you think of the inverse. It's like, okay, I don't want people who are these characteristics and I'm intentionally not filling in the blanks because I don't want to pollute the well of thought, but be very clear on their, your bad experiences and what led to them, what were their characteristics, what industry did that person operate within, uh, how many years were they in business for, how large was their business, did they have a team, were you really the only person on their team? I think there are so many different levels of being able to address that question, and that to me is a really good starting point, and you jump from that to what you like. <laughs> so so, so what? how do you feel about actually going even back one more step and saying, what do I like doing? You know, what is it that, who do I like being around? What, you know, what, do, what don't I like being around? Because to me, like you say, the ideal client is not the ideal client. It's my ideal client, right? And my ideal client is going to be very different from your ideal client. I, I can tell you some of my favorite clients are clients that nobody else would take because I I love that. It's like when I was in the national tax office at ENY, um, there was the partnership group and there was the subchapter C group. And they're very different personalities, very different types of people. Sub C, it was always, I, I know there's a ruling on this. There's, there's got to be a rule here. We, we, we need to know exactly how to do this. And the partnership people would go, why do you want a rule? That, that just ruins things to have a rule. So that, that right there, 
just in how you approach, whether it's, it's tax, whether it's accounting, whether it's consulting, how you approach what you like to do in life seems to me to have a, I, I would, I, for me, it's had a major impact on who I choose for clients. Yeah, it's, it's a fantastic point. And I think, again, it's sometimes people have a hard time even reflecting on what they do like. And as soon as they go, what I don't like, that's the next natural step. And then I think it really just, again, illuminates the possibilities because you go, what do you like? What do you gravitate towards? What has your experience has been? What, what have you invested consciously in? Oh, I've consciously invested in real estate. I find myself really enjoying being in real estate Facebook groups. I find myself, and again, you can place, replace real estate with really any, sure. any niche or topic, but I always just go, don't go and pick the, the shiny object of the industry that everyone's like, oh, there's a green rush in cannabis, or you got to go do crypto and it's where it's at. And it's like, you don't even know what blockchain is. You, you've never been to a cannabis, excuse the doorbell, you've never been to a cannabis rally in your life to like, to, to ultimately believe in this cause. You're, you're trying to push a boulder uphill as opposed to just reflecting on the experiences and the things that mean the most to you and building upon those. Yeah. So, so let me add to that. Um, how do you feel about chasing the money? Because that, here, here's what I hear all the time. I want, I want high net worth clients. And I keep asking why, is it just because you want clients who will pay your bill or do you really like rich people? I mean, which to me, you know, that's the question, which is it, you know, why are you chasing that particular type of client? Yeah. And it's, it is an interesting fascination to me. And I think it just has a lot to do with is they believe if they have more money, therefore they will pay me more money. And while there is some truth to that statement, uh, you know, rich people didn't get that way just by choosing, by just writing larger checks for things that they could choose to write smaller checks for. They're usually thrifty and they're very smart with their money. And that means that they're good also at sussing out who would be a good partner and who would be a bad partner, especially something as important as their accounting, bookkeeping, or tax functions for their business or for their life. So I'm, I'm a huge proponent of you pick the niche, but you should have a well-rounded value proposition where you can service the small to mid to large clients. And the small clients, when you build your firm the right way, you're not a one-man band. Those smaller clients, they really shouldn't need to ever talk to the owner of the firm in the beginning. Sure, when you're getting your cutting your teeth and you're building your firm, you don't want to turn your nose up at that stuff. But I find that most people are trying to turn their nose up at everything except the top part when the bottom part is actually the most profitable part of your firm because it requires zero time from the owner when it is done correctly. And I just, I just think it's a little, um, it's, it's a little myopic, if I'm using that term correctly, uh, to just say, I only want high net worth people. I, I just find that it's, it's not conducive to building a business that actually is a dream firm because you end up trapping yourself with three or four bosses as opposed to having a well diverse practice base and a healthy work-life balance. Interesting. So um, from, from your per perspective, then what is that dream client? What, what, is, that I what is that ideal client? In for me personally? Your mind. Yeah, you. Oh yeah, for sure. Well, I have this answer dialed in, as you can imagine, I think about it all the time. So I, uh, I'm a huge fan of what I refer to as the micro full service 
accounting firm. In other words, I, I don't like the value proposition of I only do tax or I only do bookkeeping. Eventually, someone's going to come along and offer a more valuable set of services and bring it all under one roof. And it's really hard to compete against that. However, if you want to stay in your zone of genius of tax or bookkeeping and you have the presence of mind to build strategic relationships, beautiful. I've got enough. That is 100% within our wheelhouse. And I define micro as really anyone that is below $2 million and someone that has a uh, full control over their firm. I'm not a uh, too many cooks in the kitchen. You got multi-partner, your eight-figure category. Uh, I really have no interest in that. Uh, it's like trying to turn a battleship. I want people who can move quick. And more importantly, people that are hungry. And the clients that I really, really love working with the most are honestly in that six-figure category or just getting their feet off the ground because they have no bad habits to break. And they're the ones that come in and you can't probably see this award too well on the back, but six figures in 12 months, vast majority of micro full-service accounting firms have that as their growth goal. Very few ever hit that goal. And we, we ship these awards out like crazy on a monthly basis. So that's our dream client. And more importantly, that's the dream result that we know they want. And we make sure that we get it for them. That's great. So you talk about um, the service aspect. So it's not enough. <laughs> you have to, you, you identify who your dream client is. They are also identifying who their dream CPA is, because remember, we are their key advisor. I mean, from a financial standpoint, the last couple of years, I've been expounding the idea that we are the front line of, uh, of COVID when it comes to business. We have been the front line. It's not even for a lot of a lot of people, it's not been fun. We've had a lot of CPAs retire as a result. So having really good clients is fun, but like you say, you've you you've got to render the service that they want. So how do you match that up? What you want to do and what they want. Now I want to be clear: is this from my perspective, from my company, or from my clients to them? I'm I'm asking the broader question, general broader question. question. Broader question is, is to me very I'm easy. looking at the global you, not the specific you. Well, the 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 answer is simple is um, you know what they say about assumptions, Tom, and I'm not gonna curse on your show, but it makes a ASS yeah. out of you and me. Uh, and I love that because so many firm owners will just make assumptions about what they think they want. They see you know, uh, the AACPA and CPA.com bill pay, you got to get bill.com. And maybe, maybe that's true. But then I find a lot of people just chasing software tools for value propositions that their dream clients don't remotely need or care about. And the best way to prevent that from happening is ask them, <laughs> ask your dream client, what they want, what they're missing, what they like to see, what more services you could possibly add. And that's the only opinion that should really inform the answer to that question in my, in my honest estimation. So, so I might even go a step further um, with, with this, Tyler, in that um, why would you want to perform services that you don't want to perform? And why would you want a client that wants services you don't want to perform? So, so to me, for example, I mean, we, you and I both know people, uh, their CPA firms are basically outsourced CFOs. I, I, you do not want me as your outsourced CFO. I'm going to tell you right now, nobody wants me to do that. Okay. I did that one time and I'm going, it was a massive fail. That's, that's not me. But if you want somebody to do great tax planning, then you probably 
specifically want me. Okay. So to, to me, some of it is what services, what, you know, I go to like strategic coach. I don't know if you're familiar with uh, Dan Sullivan, his strategic coach, but one of the things he talks about is your unique ability. And are you doing only those things that are part of your unique ability? How do you think that plays in to deciding what your, your services to your clients and what clients that, that you attract? I, I think it plays a huge role but I wanna be very careful about what the owner should do and what the firm is capable of rendering. And, I, and that to me is a very important distinction in this conversation. Look, if you hate taxes, I'm not sitting here saying, hey, just because your dream client profile is saying, well, we really need taxes, is not saying you need to now go and develop the skill set and the thing you hate and have no affinity towards. But I think it would be- I silly. would plead for you not to do that. Yeah, exactly. I would say that, that that's a terrible use of your time, but be very clear on what is a great high value use of your time from a service delivery perspective, but also have the presence of mind to just say, well, if they need this, I should find either some way to make sure that when they get this service, it's with a trusted partner or it's with a trusted team member in-house that is capable of rendering this service. And it can be in steps, right? You can be in your CFO space and you can build that up. You can have your 10, 20 clients, and then you can make the offer and say, good news, we're offering taxes and tax planning. I just brought on Tom to my team and Tom's gonna make sure that you're fully taken care of. And so then you've got that salary accounted for before you feel like you need to offer it. So you can take these in steps. It doesn't have to be all at once. Yeah, I, I think that's so important that we don't we don't um, mix uh, the idea of what we want to do and what we want our role to be with what the the firm's role is with our ideal client because our ideal client may absolutely want some things. I give you a perfect example: um, the um, employee retention credit. This is something that uh, I think we should be looking at for every single client. Okay. I mean, literally every single client we are talking to, we're not doing that. That's not our expertise. We've found a partner that can do that. That's their expertise. They will stand behind their work. I'm going, we don't do cost segregations. We're real estate. You know, we do a lot of real estate. We don't do cost segregations. We don't do research and development tax credit studies. We don't do sales tax. We, we don't, but you can have those resources available to you. One, let me ask you uh, one other question, Tyler, is, um, a lot of people have heard of this word. We, we want the clients to be sticky, right? We, we don't want them to leave, right? The, the, with a value proposition to us is not just that the, the thing that's great about a CPA firm is you don't just get revenue now, but you're actually building an asset. So that is easily saleable. I mean, it's, it's very, it's actually a very liquid asset compared to most businesses. Right. And so how do you, um, you know, what are you looking for in that ideal client or what are you looking in the, for in the services that you provide that keeps them there? Well, the main thing to me is a, I think a stickiness is a great word. It's used a lot in software, but really it's, it, to me, it's the only reason people stick around is because they are getting another word that's used a lot, but I think ill-defined is they're getting value for it. And value is a synonym for results. I say this all the time. Anytime I bring up the word value, I just go, the only way for you to properly say that you are more valuable is that you are providing a consistent and a higher level of result than someone comparable to you. 
And I find that when you're able to systemize the delivery of that value or result, and systems is another word I like to define, because again, it's like it gets tossed around all the time. No one takes the time to define what the heck it actually means, but it's a repeatable process that delivers a predictable result where you have maximum leverage. And in order to make your business more sellable, have a higher multiple, in order for it to be more sticky, you need to be able to have these systems that run throughout all the five pillars of your business, marketing, sales, fulfillment, operations, and finance, so that you are not the end-all be-all to every single person, because obviously that's not healthy. Obviously that's a bottleneck on growth. And obviously that's terrible when someone goes to buy the business, because really what they're doing is they're buying a job and they're not buying a business. They're just buying a book of clients. And in order for it to be not a 1x multiple, but a 2 or a 3x multiple, the owner has to be able to say, look, these clients are sticky, not because of me, but because of the systems I've built inside of my firm and how I've trained my clients to ultimately operate within those systems. I, I love it. So if you were to give um, our listeners two or three uh, top to-dos, you know, when you're talking about, okay, determining your dream client, attracting your dream client, retaining your dream client, what would the, what would those be? So the very first thing that I, I, I would say is like a good to-do item is it's really hard to make progress to your dream clients when the bottom 10% of your practice is biting at your ankles. You literally can't make any progress at all. So the first thing is identify your bottom 10% say thank you, but no thank you. And you all, everybody already knows these are the top 10 that I would want to get rid of or the 10% that I want to get rid of. And you should get into the habit of doing that quarterly. So first thing is free up your mental capacity to actually make smart decisions related to your dream client. Okay. Second thing, and you know, I don't want to be uh, do self-promotion, but I have an unbelievable amount of free training on my YouTube channel about dream client selection, acquisition processes. And so the second thing is just be educated on what it takes to do this the right way. You don't need to overspend on it. You can get a really good rounded approach by just saying, this is what I don't want per, uh, per our earlier parts of this conversation. And this is what I do want. And the more narrow you can be on that, the better off you'll, you'll be in, in dream client acquisition at large. And the third and final thing is <sighs> perfection does not exist. The only way to beat paralysis by analysis is with progress. One thing done today that is just interacting with a prospective dream client and even just asking for their opinion. Hey, I'm getting ready to, to, to target you. Would you mind spending 15 minutes on the, not target you. I'm getting ready to work more with architects or plumbers. And you, I've really seen that you've got a great plumbing business. Would you mind spending 15 minutes on the phone with me about just telling me about some of your concerns? You can't believe the response that you'll get from something as simple as just asking for someone's help and just complimenting them on their business. You, you'll get connected so fast. So I, I really think that those are three easy things to do. Get rid of the, the people taking up negative bandwidth pursue free education first and get a good base for decision-making. And then finally, just take one step of meaningful action towards that dream client to validate your beliefs. I love it. I love it. Tyler Clark, it is, uh, his website is dreamfirms.com, dreamfirms.com. Tyler, thanks so much for being with us. We all know that when we have uh, 
some when we have more clients <laughs> that are closer to our ideal clients that are our dream clients then we're always going to have not just better clients but we're going to have a better practice and better life we'll see everyone next time you've been listening to the wealth ability for cpa show better clients better practice better life to learn more go to wealthability.com This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.